0: Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice and the supporting sponsor of the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. I'm recording this in, uh, what is this, early May 2020. Uh, not sure, we'll, we'll release this later. Uh, it'll come out at some point uh, in the spring or summer. But we're getting back to our landmarks in Onco Farm series. And we're going to look at a landmark publication uh, from 2010. Uh, that was actually pretty well known uh, from some early release and, and uh, annual meeting abstracts before that. But this is uh, low-dose dex plus linolidamide or Revlimid versus high-dose dex and linolidamide. So L, big D. Versus L little d, right? Big D versus little d, uh, and this is the the title list is is lenalidomide plus high dose dexamethasone versus lenalidomide plus low dose dexamethasone as initial therapy for newly diagnosed myeloma patients, multiple myeloma, uh, colon, an open label randomized clinical trial, uh, published by uh, Vincent Rajkumar and colleagues. Uh, this was an on behalf of the uh, Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group or ECOG in Lancet Oncology 2010. Now. Let's take a little bit of a detour, or, or, or go back in time, because <laughs> things were better. Um, let's go back to 2005. All right, and the reason we're going back to 2005 is that uh, uh, Vincent Rajkumar writes a letter to the editor that's published in May of 2006, and it's just a one paragraph, basically with preliminary toxicity results of this study, uh, as of uh, as far as the data. Uh, as of November 15, 2005. So he wrote a letter to the editor saying, hey, you, everyone needs to know about this, this toxicity data with this lenalidomide low-dose DEX versus len high-dose DEX study uh, as of what we saw in November in 2005. And it's important because Revlimid was FDA-approved uh, December twenty seventh of two thousand five. So the time this publication comes out, this letter to the editor, Revlimid's gotten approval not for newly diagnosed myeloma, uh, but but you know relapse refractory or second line or whatever. Okay, so let's go back to two thousand five, November of two thousand five, because that's when these researchers saw. Uh, a toxicity, a safety signal that they needed to communicate uh, immediately, and they did that in the form of a letter to the editor, uh, at least as you go back through the records. I'm sure it was at an annual meeting. So November 2005, uh, I'm finishing the fall semester of my P3 year, uh, which is the big thing is like the six credit hour therapeutics class, uh, which is mostly cardiology. I got a B I got like an 89 point. something. I I did do that thing that I now hate as a faculty member. I I emailed the course coordinator and said, hey, I got an 89 point, like 9.2. How about an A? He said no. Um, So anyway, in November of 2005, uh, the week that this came out, uh, the week that they uh, were looking at this data, the number one movie in America was The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, a movie I have not seen. I have read the book, though, to my daughter. She loves it. The top song that week was Gold Digger by Kanye West uh, featuring Jeremy Fox. I do know that song. And you probably, if you know it too, you're probably humming it in your head. Okay, so uh, what Rajkumar wrote to NEJM was the first 266 patients as of then, uh, which was a little over half of the the entire cohort, Uh, and they're reporting uh, toxicity results for the high-dose dex versus low-dose dex. They all got relevant. So high-dose dex was 40 milligrams on days 1 through 4, nine through 12 and 17 through 20 of a 28 week cycle. Uh, So that's basically 40 milligrams for four days, then four days off. Then dex for another four more days, then four days off, another four more days, and then you wait. Um, So you take 40 for four straight days, three different periods during uh, that 28 day cycle. Uh, the low-dose DEX group was 40 milligrams simply on days 1, 8, 15, and 22. So for a, for a cycle, this works out to being 480 milligrams of DEX per cycle in the high-dose group versus 160 milligrams of DEX in the low-dose group. It's a three-fold difference. If you go and look at, the say, the NCCN guidelines for preventing uh, thromboembolic events in cancer patients, there are several different scoring tools uh, specific to myeloma patients on IMIDs like lenalidomide, and you'll notice... That the breakpoint of you know high risk versus low risk, uh, as far as a criterion, is 160 milligrams a day of dexamethasone per, per month per 28 day cycle, or more than 160 milligrams, and that comes from this number. So the rates of VTE are 18.2 percent versus 3.7 percent high dose versus low dose dex. So I mean that's a huge, that's a delta of almost 15 percent in VTE rates, this led to a protocol change. So remember this number, 18% versus 4%. We'll just narrow it down. So change of 14%, 18% versus 4%. At the time, for the first half of the patient on the study, there was no required thromboprophylaxis. It was recommended that patients should be uh, on aspirin, but it wasn't required, right? Now, after this early result, they did a mandatory change, and then all patients had to be on at least aspirin going forward, all right? So now let's circle back to this publication in 2010, and I think the data cutoff was probably 2008. So what we have here are uh, 440-plus newly diagnosed multiple myeloma patients randomized one-to-one to to standard lenalidomide now, as we know now, 25 milligrams a mouth, days one through 21 of a 28-day cycle, so three weeks on, one week off or the high-dose DEX or low-dose DEX group. And the primary endpoint was overall response rate after four cycles. So they did induction times four cycles, and then patients could either go on to auto-transplant or continue uh, LD uh, or RD, as we would call it now because uh, we're uh, you know slaves to the brand name, uh, LD uh, indefinitely until disease progression. So uh, the overall response rate, the primary endpoint after four cycles, was statistically significantly higher in the low dose uh, or higher in the high-dose DEX group, so 79% versus 68.3%. Uh, and that was a P of 0.008. Now, the, the primary endpoint of this study was overall response rate after four cycles as a non-inferiority study to see if the low-dose DEX was non-inferior to high DEX. It was not non-inferior, which that's a double negative. So what I mean is low-dose DEX was inferior to high-dose DEX with regards to overall response rate after four cycles. And if you look at overall response rate total, it was also statistically significantly in favor of the high-dose DEX group, 81% overall response rate versus 70%. So so the high-dose DEX is better, Right. Well, and this was reported, I believe at the time, this was reported as, you know, the the preliminary results reported. I shouldn't say that. I don't remember uh, at that time. But anyway, if you look back at this, primary endpoint is met, uh, or the primary endpoint of non-inferiority is not met, so the high-dose DEX is better. That's what we want. We want to get these people into response and then send them to transplant because they'll do better if they have a response before transplant. End of story. But, but, um at about 12 and a half months of median follow-up. Now keep in mind, overall survival was not a protocol-defined endpoint, but at a median follow-up of 12 and a half months, the Data Safety Monitoring Board recommended stopping the study because the one-year overall survival rate was 87% in the high-dose DEX group versus 96% in the low-dose DEX group. Uh, That's a delta of 9%, so 9% more people died in the high-dose dex group, despite the high-dose dex group having a higher response rate. And it's a log rank uh, p-value of 0.0002. whole lot of zeros there, right? So how is this that patients have better disease control, as evidenced by a a superior overall response rate in the high-dose dex group, while also having a lower one-year survival. And of course, you go back to what was published in the New England Journal of Medicine five years earlier, which was more toxicity in forms of VTE. So now, if you look at uh, the two-year death rate that was not due to disease progression, 7.2% in the high-dose dex group versus 1.8% in the low-dose dex, that's a delta, 5.4%. If you look at uh, death due to thromboembolic event, it was 9% versus 2%. uh, that's a delta seven percent. Uh, overall VTE was twenty six percent versus twelve percent. That's a delta of fourteen percent, and that includes the whole co- the whole cohort. And remember that whole cohort, like about forty percent of those patients would have been after the protocol change to require at least aspirin prophylaxis. Uh, Four month mortality five percent versus one percent. Uh, worse if you're in the high-dose dex group, and then infection was 16% versus 9%. That's a delta 7%, obviously a p-value of 0.04, obviously more death in the high-dose dex group. So, you know, what are the take-home points here? Well, uh, we now know that low-dose dex with linobamide is better than, uh, than high-dose dex with regards to overall survival. But the high dose dex is better in terms of overall response rate uh, and active and 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 quick, fast, and superior uh, numbers of disease control response rate. Uh, this also helped us um, fully appreciate the the VTE risk of these high doses of dexamethasone, when combined with an imid-like linamide. We were aware at the time and from experience with thalidomide that these drugs carried a VTE risk, but we didn't really appreciate how much higher that risk went up when you added these very high doses of corticosteroids. We now know that thanks to this study. Um, And... Uh, this also provided us basically proof of concept that a low dose aspirin, so 100 milligrams a day. Uh, if you're outside the United States, here we use 81 because of you know the agrarian system or something uh, and grains and versus grams and that sort of thing. Um, so now we know that 81 milligrams of aspirin is sufficient to prevent VTE in patients on imit. Uh, but from a big picture, this causes us I think to rethink the need for early. Response in a disease, for at least most patients with multiple myeloma, it's a chronic disease. So uh, we don't need to treat it as a sprint in many patients. And this uh, this study, which, you know, the the, the lead author, the primary investigator is uh, Rashkumar, is one of the biggest names in this country in myeloma. And ECOG is one of the most prestigious uh, research groups in the country. And they designed a study by... Uh, that accidentally, I mean, they weren't looking at overall survival. It wasn't a protocol-defined endpoint, and they, they found something that I'm sure they did not expect. Uh, and it impacts how we practice to this day, both with the dose of DEX we use for our myeloma patients, how we prevent VTE in patients taking MIDS and steroids, and, of course, the dose of steroid that we use. So in addition to doing some more landmark and oncofarm podcast. Where we go back over these landmark studies. We'll do some of the, the foundational uh, drugs again in our, funda- in our fa- Foundations of Oncopharm series, but the FDA keeps pumping out new, new approvals. Uh, there are new changes in practice always come along, so we'll mix these in as we can. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.